When I'm finally laid to rest, please don't put me in a wooden casket or leave flowers at my grave in a pretty little basket. Don't pump me full of chemicals and put me on display. Just bury me beneath the earth and plant a seed upon my grave. And as my body rots below, my atoms reassimilated, in my place a tree will grow from the place that I originated. Precious minerals returned to earth, little molecules of me, the fuel for yet another life as I become the tree. Jimmy Osborne. Welcome to the Lost Travelers podcast. I am your ever-loving host, Henry Cameron Allen. And today I am sitting with an old friend, Victoria Casanova, and they are uh, working toward a, a, a new vision for their life uh, as an end-of-life doula. Welcome, Victoria. So thrilled to have you here. And um, I'm I'm curious to to know where that that came from, that impulse to become an end-of-life doula. Sure. So it's great to see you, Henry. It's wonderful to catch up with you after this time. Yes. Uh, we've been connecting on my Facebook group, which has been fantastic, and I've been loving seeing your writing and your perspective on things. Um, it's been really beautiful and helpful to get uh, the message across to people. Um, I would say um, there's no real like starting memory that I can come up with that that started this whole end of life doula thing for me. Um, I've been sort of interested in death and dying since I was in my late teens and early 20s. Um, I've just sort of had a natural inclination towards it, a natural fascination um, I originally wanted to work, I was going to go to mortuary science school to become a mortician because mm. this was back in the times when end of life doula was just not a thing. Right. This is only a thing that has come up within like the last 15 years or so. Um, an end of life doula is first um an end of life doula is somebody that support or that gives non-medical support for those who are uh in the dying process or if they're just healthy and want to talk about dying or but they want to set up uh their wishes and their medical paperwork and all that sort of stuff while they're like still willing and able to do so um and yeah this is just it's sort of a newer profession when it comes to like actual it being a profession um people just this was just a natural part of people's lives up until like the victorian period people just were around death in america constantly like right. people cared for their own dead at home um and then up until the victorian times um the the mortician came in and was the one that was like the professional quote unquote to like start dealing with the bodily processes and everything um, after somebody's died. So 
death was sort of moved out of the house and into someone else's hands. Mm -hmm. um, and the doula movement is really, uh, wants to get the families really more involved and get people really thinking about their own death before it's just thrust upon them without thinking about it. So. Well, I've heard I've heard the term death doula. I love that you call it end of life doula. Which yeah, is, it's sort it of interchangeable for sure. Yeah, um, a different connotation. I, I want to get into yeah. that conversation about what is death and is it real and you know on a quantum level, you know how how do we face this? Because really, death has been part of the human experience as long as life has. And the word doula has been around for a very long time. And it's sort of a, a, a guide or a caregiver during the process of birth. And, and so I'm, cur I'm really curious to hear about the history of end of life or death doulas. How, how, is, how do they equate? Where's the common factor between the two? Right. So yeah, uh, doula is an ancient Greek word which means a woman who serves um it's it's not it's not something like so i'm a non-binary person right so i i personally don't have an issue with it being like a female connotation for me but there's like male males that work in the field too that would prefer to just be called like an end-of-life guide or an end of life companion or something along those kind of lines. Um, but yeah, when it comes to like the birthing doulas and, and that sort of uh, integration, um, that's just like the, the type of support, right? It's the non-medical support. Um, it's the people that want to be there and like actually guide you through the natural processes of things as opposed to like just putting it all in medical hands. Right. So I guess that's kind of where they uh, overlap. Um, and yeah, again, like this, there was this whole period, like from say like the early 1900s up until like the nineties, we'll say, where there just wasn't much of an option other than if you happen to, have people that are like death inclined in your life then that's great but most times people don't right so they just are thrown into the the um funeral industry and just told here you go just figure yep. everything out on your own like coroner <laughs> comes by picks up the body and and you never see it again right or or if it's an open casket you might see it again but then it's it's sort of pumped full of all these preservative chemicals and you know juice to make the skin look pinker and um the lip plumpers <laughs> you know all that all that stuff the embalming um i mean humans have been embalming our dead for for centuries for eons but this newer way of preserving the shell because let's face it that's what it is um with chemicals that don't decompose that don't have a natural process that don't allow the body to go through its natural 
uh, decomposition um, that is is part of the cycle, right? When we when we plant our our the the bodies of our dead in the earth, right? It 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 becomes part of the cycle. It feeds the tree, just like a lot of people will plant the placenta after a child is born in the earth for the same reason. There is a connection to the natural world that we're losing sight of, we're losing track of. And I'm so happy to see you and others uh, starting to bring back in a big way, a reconnection to nature and to natural processes of holding that part of our human journey. And I am a big advocate for there's I'm, I'm very grateful to be alive during this time, actually, because we're really starting the momentum from going from really, really horrible environmental pollutant ways of body disposition to much more environmentally conscious options. Um, I'm a huge advocate for green burial, which is the burial of a body just in a shroud or a decomposable uh box like a cardboard box or, or they have like wicker caskets wicker. that you can have i've made. seen the wicker caskets are gorgeous they beautiful <laughs> yeah i just like saw an article about a massachusetts uh native that makes those sorts of things which is wonderful wow a guy wire is a tensioned cable that is designed to enhance the stability of a freestanding structure. Think of me as your guy wire in terms of life skills mentoring. You're perfectly capable of standing stably on your own two feet, but I'm a cable that can enhance your stability. I'm available for individual or couples counseling, life skills mentorship, child loss grief support lgbtq plus support i can also officiate weddings end of life ceremonies baby namings invocations or whatever guidance you may need i serve all genders all ages sessions are affordable discreet private and conducted online find me at guy-wire.org book your appointment today Greetings, greetings, greetings. I'm Queen B. Divine. The cure is conversation. And where can you find me? At bluntreflections.com, where I will be talking to guests from around the world that not only share their time, but their insights and their tips on how they became the best version of who they were meant to be. So if you're looking for a great story and a great time, check me out at bluntreflections.com. The cure is conversation. And remember, blase, blase means to tell your story. Um, there's a couple of things that are coming up that are legal in some states, but not other states. Um, I don't think either of these are available in Massachusetts where I live yet, but there's uh, I, uh, alkaline hydrolysis, which is water cremation, uh, which is when the body is placed in an alkaline water. And I think there's a couple other nutrient or minerals or something in there too. Uh, and the body is basically just superheated and shaken until the body is just 
a liquid basically in bones. Um, and then that liquid can either, it can either just be gone down the drain like fluids do in regular embalming processes, um, <laughs> or it can be turned into fertilizer and things like that as well. Um, and then there's also um, what they call recomposition, which is like a composting, body composting. Right. Um, they, they're, they're getting to have like real big facilities now where you can go and have your body put into a vessel that's full of, um, it's some sort of wood shavings and hay. I, I don't remember exactly what the, right. the compound is that they use, but um, you're just put in natural stuff <laughs> and heat it up. I think it's, I think it's like a, I think it's like just a little over a month, I think is the process for that, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then you get so many pounds of fertilizer after of compost that you can use in your garden, which yeah. I think is a really great thing as well. So, well, and it, and it, it sort of solves a problem, not only environmentally, because I imagine that a water cremation is uh, far less uh, of a carbon footprint than fire cremation. Um, and then the composting idea is what would happen anyway when a, when a, a body is planted in the earth, except it's maybe you know more controlled and uh, you can actually decide how to use the, the remains of your of your loved one. Um, as you know, I, I lost my son to brain cancer when he was 13, and nobody was talking about this stuff. And this was only 15 years ago. This is a new conversation. This is ancient wisdom, but cutting edge in our time. And I want to know what you think about where was that pivot point? Where did we start to on a grander scale? And I, I don't know in Europe, uh, where I'm living, where what, where that is right now in terms of legalities and plan. I know that here in Spain, a lot of people do um, mausoleums or people are planted above ground, right, in caskets and so forth. You don't see as much cremation here. Um, but with my son, I didn't know what my options were. I don't think there were many options. It was either put him in the ground in a casket right get a headstone and plant you know plastic flowers and you know not to minimize the decoration of of the space of a loved one um because i think that's important too and for a lot of people in the grieving process on that journey it's it's important to have a place to go to to sit with the representation of the life that was lost um as we as we look at it um likewise um you can choose what to do with the the ashes or the cremains of your loved one you can release it over the sea or you can take it to a beautiful place that was important to that person you can plant it you can bury it as if you would a, a body in a grave a lot of people do that as well or like me you can have an urn sitting on your shelf at a little shrine um, I'm not ready to release his physical remains in that way. And I feel great comfort in being able to, to have them with me until the time comes when and if I decide that 
it's time, or maybe I'll want to have my remains blended with his. I mean, there's a very romantic idea of that too. Um, when, when did this more natural movement come about? Because it's, it's quite new. Do you know much about the history of it? So I'm not exactly sure on like the specifics of how it started and where and who it started with exactly, but I do know that I think a lot of people really noticed a huge lack of this sort of thing, especially like the medical system is just so absolutely overworked and just quite traumatic to people a lot of the times. So true. They're just shuffled around to all these places with no humanity. And I think people just really took a look at that and was like, this isn't right. We need to like be empowering people to know like what their options are, how their family can be involved in things. How to be your own um, advocate. Exactly. It's huge because the medical field is just not trained in death. They really are not. Yeah. Uh, I've seen just interview after interview of doctors telling that they just didn't know. Why do you think that, that they, is, Victoria? What what's why is that such a financial a, greed, unfortunately? Really? Um, I really feel like um the funeral industry is a billion dollar industry. It's True. enormous. And they do a lot of lobbying to get like green options just shot out of the conversation. Like humongous industries are involved with funerals. Um, a actually, another thing is um, over the years, a lot of independently owned funeral homes have been bought up by corporations. Mm. And they will like keep the name, the family name of a funeral home to like give the illusion that they're a family business. And hard um, but yeah. they're a corporate entity. And I just, it's this, it's just compounded into this whole big mess of people being afraid of death and not talking about it. And I think they just really thrive on ignorance. Yeah. So they're just. Well, and ignorance is what breeds fear. Ignorance is, is you know, it's, it's the root of fear, if you think of it that way. Um, we fear what we don't know. And so to have this kind of a conversation on a global stage, we have listeners in 41 countries currently. And this is, and there are some cultures that handle this process, this very natural process of dying, uh in in much more enlightened ways than, oh, we, yeah. do, than we do in the <laughs> West. However, that said, I have spoken to friends and colleagues in the life skills movement around the world and there are always challenges there are always going to be ways to improve there are always going to be ignorant people who don't know better and they don't do better because they don't know better right now we maybe should know better and <laughs> and that i think maybe the reason that we're starting to do better is that people are starting to wake up, especially after COVID when there has been so much massive loss globally. Um, there's a practical side of this. You can't just go bury grandma in the backyard. 
because of the the health concerns to the you know immediate environment and maybe you know water and and soil and all that but um but that's what we used to do as human beings in fact for most of our human history we have done that we've only been in modern times for a blip on the screen right so it's encouraging to me that there seems to be more of a movement toward getting back to the ancestors. Are you tired of feeling run down? Do you wish there was a natural, non-invasive, drug-free way to improve your overall health and well-being? If so, then let me introduce you to the Super Patch Company. Super Patches are a range of small neurotech patches that can help with a variety of issues, including sleep, immunity, pain mitigation, athletic performance, focus, anxiety, and stress. They're safe for everyone to use, and they're backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Order your Super Patches today. Now available in the EU, UK, Turkey, Canada, and the US. If you're ready to take control of your health, you can find out more online at dianedinkmeyer.superpatch.com. Super Patches. There's a patch for that. And just FYI, in the U.S., you can bury grandma in the backyard if you want to. <laughs> all the U.S. is that federal? I don't know if it's I don't know if it's all the U.S., but you, there's like there's practices in place where you have to just like let your your county the town know and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I think that um, a lot of like the rural areas in like big open places probably in like texas and like places that have a lot of land they'll have like fan family graveyards still family plots like on yeah on the on their property um so yeah there's there's all sorts of stuff you can there's do. all <laughs> sorts of objects let's talk yeah. about let's talk about death 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 <laughs> dark death oh death oh death <laughs> I love that your Facebook group, and I will put a link, listeners, in the uh, description uh, of this podcast episode, because when we refer to things, whether they're books or whether they're groups, uh, we're all searching. We're all searching for our community. We're all searching for ways to address these fears and to learn more about these processes. Um and I love that your Facebook group is called Death Positivity Daily because there are positive ways to look on death, aren't there? It's a natural process. When people have come to me um, and they'll say, oh, losing a child is unnatural. Losing a child is the worst thing that could happen to a person. I'm not gonna pretend it doesn't suck, Right. Um, and it was certainly the worst thing that's happened in my life, if you can qualify it as worst. I mean, it's hard to, but it's it's certainly my measuring stick against everything else. Mm. Right. Um, but my perception, my perspective on death has changed. Uh, I don't believe it's a thing anymore. I think it's an illusion. I think it's a great lie um, that's been used to control and separate, divide people. 
not only from each other, but also from nature. Um, death of my child is, is natural because it happened, period. Right? And it doesn't matter how somebody goes. Cameron used to say, Papa, we're all going to go. We're all going to go and we're all going to have our time and we're all going to have our way. Sometimes it's from a sickness. Sometimes it's from an accident. Sometimes it's by someone's own hand. But there's nothing that can be done about it. Right? This is their time and their way. And it's us who are left here to figure out how to handle it. Right. And so what are some of the positive ways that you and where did you in this, let's call it an obsession since you're adolescent? Yeah, oh, it definitely is. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't even worry about that. Where did that where did you think that sprung from in you, this fascination or obsession? And how is it different for you now than it was when you really first started to connect with the concept and the and the process of death. Yeah, so I've thought a lot about that. Um, and I think that some of it is nurture and some of that is just something that sprung up in me without me consciously knowing anything about it. Mm -hmm. um, I did grow up in a well-known haunted Victorian mansion. Mm -hmm. um, so I... I heard about <laughs> I, I heard about people talking about death a lot because of that. Um, we would have like ghost hunting groups come through a lot from all over the world. And I was just around people that were talking about how people died. Um, and I know the exact spot in my house that I grew up in that people were laid out to be viewed when they died. Because it was still, it was 1875 up until about like the early 1900s would have been like, people were still doing that. Mm. So I was just hearing about all of this in my early years. And like, I never really thought about it until um, like the last few years of like, where did maybe this come from? Um, but also on the other side, um, I am Buddhist. So I do believe in past life work. So I believe that I have probably been doing stuff like this in the past because mm. I was not brought up around anybody that was in the funeral industry. I was not around anybody that was like in my very um, immediate family. Nobody has died, like except my grandparents, but nobody in like my mom, dad, brother has died. Um, so I just, it's just a natural thing. I've heard the term, um, there's sort of like an archetypal term called um, a death walker. Hmm. So somebody that is just sort of naturally inclined to work with death. Hmm. So it, it's kind of a mixture of all sorts of stuff. <laughs> I had a dream the other night. This is literally just a few days ago um, that woke me up at five in the morning and I felt compelled to write a 14 part series on the quantum dimensions of grief and that includes the process of of death and dying and i've written it and it's all like five minute videos 14 of them 
and I'm going to be launching it first uh, for members of the Lost Travelers Club, which is my foundation that this podcast fuels uh, financially. Uh, so all sponsorships and, and donations to the podcast go directly to that charitable foundation, the Lost Travelers Club. Um, and so what, what's fascinating about this journey, I, I just, and this is why I'm, I was dying to talk to you, pun intended, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that this whole concept of, from a quantum level, which the foundation of is that everything is energy and frequency, everything from the tree to ourselves, to the house we live in, to our shoe, to our pet, to the cloud passing over, everything is frequency and energy. And that cannot be created those things cannot be created and they cannot be destroyed. They just transmute, they change form, right? This is scientific fact. We know this now and it's being explored more deeply and with more um, seriousness. It's been ta being taken by the scientific community with a little more seriousness. There have been uh, awards and, you know, Nobel prizes given for this work in, in the quantum field. Um, but what does that mean for death? That means that death isn't real. That means that what we perceive as death and what we fear as death and what we mourn and grieve as death is actually our ignorance of those processes that are perfectly natural, right? Children have been dying since the beginning of people. This is nothing new. It's natural because it happened. And no matter how it happened, it just is. If it was meant to be otherwise, it would have been otherwise. And there are, are new sciences, newer sciences, such as epigenetics, that are proving that we carry ancestral memory in our very DNA and, and genetic makeup. What does that mean for this exploration? And even from a reincarnation point of view, are we reincarnated or are we tapping into a universal consciousness that everyone and everything that's ever manifested in the physical is part of right and so it's the frequency that we resonate with it's like i, I see it as a, a great cosmic radio you're the only one being in the physical that can plug it into the wall flip it on and start turning the dial to find the frequency you vibe with. It could be a chat show. It could be a news station. It could be classical music. It could be all share all day, right? Or it could <laughs> just be one song that you love and then the next one isn't so great. So you, you turn the dial subtly to the left or right and you find the next frequency. That's kind of how I see this. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, that all sounds really cool. I've never really heard of that stuff before. <laughs> all flowing right now. Um, so yeah, um, there is like a distinction of like reincarnation and rebirth, right? So reincarnation kind of, uh, it has the elements of like having a soul that continues on from, from life to life. 
the rebirth I think is more of like what you are saying is like it's not like a a, a single soul it's just sort of like tapping into a broader um array of energies which I think is really cool and like it's one of the great mysteries that we won't know until we die. <laughs> and we won't know until we know. Yeah, right? which is kind of cool. A lot of people, like, I understand being worried about not knowing what's next. But I think it's, like, the coolest adventure that you can think of. <laughs> that, doesn't Peter Pan say that at some point? Yeah, exactly. The greatest adventure, right? Something like that. Sponsorship and listener support of the Lost Traveler podcast benefits the Lost Travelers Club, a volunteer-operated charitable foundation under United Charitable, a 501c3 public charity. Peregrine is the proper noun we now use to describe a parent who endures the loss of their beloved child, forever carrying their memory, and embarking on a lifelong journey of grief, resilience, and hope. The Lost Travelers Club provides programs, resources, and empowerment opportunities for peregrines globally who are navigating their grief journey. Parents of child loss, getting there together. You can support this important work by becoming a sponsor of this podcast or visiting www.losttravelers.club for more information or to make a donation. Thanks for listening and for your continued support. Since writing this series, uh, which I'm sure at some point will become a book, um, I tend to, because of my experience, look through the lens of child loss. Although I've also, uh, I lost my father to COVID um, a couple years ago, right? So... I've been playing with identities, you know, up until fairly recently. Um, and even in most of the world, I would venture to say still, there's no word like widow or orphan for a parent to turn to who's who's outlived their child. There's no identifier. We're kind of an invisible population in that sense. You can't look at somebody and know. And it's very nice to be asked, oh, do you have any children? But I can't say, oh, well, I'm a widow or how are your parents? Oh, I'm an orphan, right? There's nothing to turn to to say this is who I am now without having to go into the story and to go into a very personal grief journey that you don't want to share with everybody necessarily. You don't want to lie and say, no, I don't have any kids, right? Some people say, oh, well, I have one in heaven. Right. But, but it's, it's it, whatever works. But I, I had another dream where a peregrine falcon came to me and said, it's time. And I woke up and I knew that peregrine was a great word. And if you, and I love the history of language, the going back to the roots of words, where they came from and how they've been used. Peregrine as it's ascribed to the falcon, is actually fairly new in history. Before that, and by new, I mean like 15th century, 16th century. Right. <laughs> um, 
Before that, it stems from the Latin peregrinus, which means traveler or pilgrim, someone who's a seeker of, of enlightenment, right? And I thought that's what we are. In fact, the lost traveler, hey, you know, that, that, that was really resonant. Um, and it also infers uh, a stranger in a strange land, right? And that's kind of how you feel after, well, I was gonna say after child loss, but I think one can feel that way with pet loss. Someone can feel that way with parent loss or friend loss. Um, it's that period of mourning. And I go into this in the series where I talk about the difference between mourning and grief. Mourning is part of the grief journey. It's the first step of the grief journey with new loss. But there's a different quality, isn't there? Mourning is is passive. You can't do anything with it. You but experience it, sit with it, feel lost, feel that you know those tsunamis of emotion that that come over you and and uh, knock you off your feet, right? But then you recover until the next one hits, and little by little, maybe they don't hit you quite so hard. But grief is active. Grief you can do something with. You can channel your grief into good things, into good things in memory of the person that you're grieving. Mm -hmm. Do you experience in a similar way? Yeah, I think um, people stigmatize grief a lot, and I that's a really unfortunate thing. I've I've really seen people who are obviously in a lot of pain just because they are taught to just like hold it all in and not experience it. Don't break down around people. Like even at the funeral, people won't get emotional. It's like, yeah. it's, it's wild to me. Um, it's just such a natural emotion and there's cultures all over the world that like openly will wail their hearts out when they're at funerals and they are really expressing that emotion that is inside of them. And I think that is really like the most healthy thing that you can do because otherwise people get just angry and violent and just don't know what to do with themselves. Um, or they just completely shut down emotionally and just become like just horribly depressed <laughs> well and, and, and of course like cultural expectations fuel that as right. well mm -hmm. yeah we're not given any morning time off of work or anything like that i really think people should be given at least like two or three months minimum off of work if they lose somebody very close to them um, honestly, like in Victorian times, you were in mourning for a whole year. Yeah. You weren't really expected to do much of anything. Like you, that was just your period to, to feel your feelings. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we really could benefit from people that share their stories and tell people that it's okay to, to feel these things and really make it more of a normal thing, you know? 
normalizing is so important for for certain healthy ways of living right these are grief is a universal life skill this is a skill there's a skill in art to the process of grieving and when you are told if you identify as a man or express as a man you are told to sublimate your feelings you are not to emote you're the one responsible for caring everyone else during their emotional time right people accept more readily i think globally uh when a a woman uh will fling herself across the casket of her of her loved one and and wail that's acceptable but for a man to do it not so much so i've been working a lot with fathers uh there's very little support in in my child loss world for fathers there are a few facebook groups but they're they're very helpful for 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 men who don't know quite where to turn or how to express or navigate their feelings and it's a safe space very important to uh to just express where you are and what you're feeling and to hear from others the reassurance that you're not alone the reassurance that we understand we get it we get it we've all been there and there's hope you'll get through it mourning for me is a temporary state grief is eternal you're always going to grieve the person that you miss right I, I miss their physical presence in my life but i don't feel the loss as sharply because i don't recognize death as a real thing because I still have an interaction with them. This goes way back. My grandmother, when she passed away, Cameron, I think, was two years old. And she's the one I turn to when I've lost something and I can't find it, like a tangible, like my car keys or something. I'll say, Grandma, where are my keys? And I will hear her voice in my ear saying, they fell out of your pocket, they're under the sofa, right? I'll hear it. And Cameron, as he grew up, I mean, he was 13 when he passed, but uh, as he grew up, if he would lose a toy or a book, he would call down from, from his room upstairs, Papa, would you ask great grandma Elaine where my book is? I'd say, no, you can develop your own connection. You just have to ask her, wait for the answer. She'll tell you like 30 seconds later, found it, you know, that kind of a, a thing, which I delighted. It's actually, it could be very fun connecting to your ancestors and oh, yeah. your loved ones. The, those connections are real. That's amazing that you raised Cameron like that too, because a lot of parents just completely keep death out of the picture in all aspects. And it sucks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, having that sort of connection is so cool. I love that. I think everyone has it. Do you? Who, oh, yeah. Who, who do you connect with? So I have a couple of friends that have passed away that I feel their presence like quite strongly a lot of the times. Um, one passed from suicide, unfortunately, and the other passed um, from an overdose, but it was maybe also a suicide. We're not entirely sure, but um, both in pretty tragic ways. 
Um, but yeah, I, I feel them around me a lot. I get a lot of animal signs from them. Um, I, I get tons of signs like, from birds mostly. Um, like the turkey vulture is my, my animal mm. for, for that sort of stuff. I get a lot of like death messages from the turkey vultures. That's I see them around me a lot. That is yeah, oh, yeah. An ancient medicine it goes <laughs> way, 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 way back to the beginning that birds are the messengers, right? They can also be harbingers, right? And 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 protectors and warning signs, but they're they're the messengers, and uh, I think that that's also uh, the the peregrine uh, motif as a word, like widow or orphan, for a parent to child loss, right? Um, it also sort of taps into that that thing. I, I think using ancient medicine to connect with our ancestors, and my son is now my ancestor. Anyone who's listening who's lost a child, they are now your ancestor. And they are equally as powerful in terms of what they can bring and the richness that they can continue in your life. Shadow and Light LLC was established by Dave Roberts and Reverend Patty Farino, co-authors of When the Psychology Professor Met the Minister. Their mission is to empower individuals to transcend life's challenges by integrating spiritual practices with psychology to achieve peace. They are available for individualized spiritual counseling, virtual or in-person book club meetings, or presentations and workshops to universities, organizations, and other interested groups. For further information, visit psychologyprofessorandminister.com. I want to get into, since you brought it up, the whole suicide uh, plague that we are experiencing now. I mean, suicide has been around forever as well, but it seems to me, and, and I wanna hear your perspective, that it's, it's quite rampant right now, as is anxiety and depression. And when someone makes the choice to move on from this physical life, it leaves the fallout of that is very intense for those left behind. Um, what do you, what do you ascribe this this time um, and this experience, especially having lost people close to you? Uh, drugs kind of play into that picture as well. Yeah, um, life is really hard for a lot of people. Um, you know, there's a lot of hate towards specific people where they might not be killed for who they are, but the backlash that they receive for who they are is so, it can be so damaging to a person, especially if it's constant from specific people and things like that. Um, and again, like our medical system, it just, it doesn't support people in that realm at all. Right. Uh, therapy 
like a, a lot of just modern Western met methods are just, they don't work for people. They're just given a diagnosis and medicated for stuff, but they're not really working on the root causes of things. Um, like I'm very, very fortunate to have my spiritual practice because I've sort of been realigning with like the, the reality of the world as opposed to what we're told our experience is. Um, and yeah, it, it's just people have a lot of pain in them, a lot, and they don't know what to do with it. Even if they have the most loving, supportive people around them, they can just feel totally alone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I, I've experienced it, you know, I, I'm close to me and I've experienced it recently with friends. Um, I don't know that there's an easy answer. It's so nuanced. Um, you know, our world is very complex and very chaotic. Of course, the world has always been complex and chaotic. That is nothing new. But when you add technology to it, it sort of compounds and it provides other uh, means of, of attacking people, dividing people. Uh, you see it in social media. You see it, you know, all over where one group is pointing fingers at another group, right? That's always been there, our way as humans is to look for the villain, <laughs> find the villain. But my grandmother, rest your soul, used to say, honey, when you've got one finger pointing at someone else, you got three pointing back at yourself. Mm -hmm. yep. And that's a very, very profound and simple and ancient truth right uh like what we're talking about is really looking at that these these ancient ways of of perceiving the world before the internet was even a dream um people have been attacked for who they are people have had to navigate in a in a community that doesn't recognize them as valid um and before technology before the industrial revolution leaving that community was not always an easy option. You couldn't hop a flight or a train or steal a horse, you know, maybe or, or run on foot as far as you can. Uh, and I'm sure people did that. Um, do you have any practical advice or tools in your kit that help you being who you are in our time that we share uh, that allow you to sort of circumvent or to mitigate the pain associated with the things that you've witnessed around you? Yeah, um, just education. Education is huge. I So I personally haven't had brief experiences that stayed with me for years and years that have to really um, be talked about and developed with a professional, I'll say. Mm -hmm. um, 
so I can't speak to a lot of like deep grief processes, I guess you would say. Um, but yeah, just knowing we live in a really crazy random mass world. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, we do. Um, and yeah, just building your community is key, really. And talking about these sorts of things is key. So, yeah. Yeah, no one's alone, really. I mean, there are plenty of people, hundreds, thousands, millions even, that might be feeling the same way you're feeling in that moment. I've, I've encountered that with my, my child loss circles. Um, just to know that you're not alone. Just the message and the reinforcement of that message, I think, is vitally important in navigating. And I, I guess, on on some level, I don't entirely agree that that we can't control certain things. I think that what we witness around us is the product of of the state that we're in and how we manifest or not certain things you know the the that whole that old adage of uh if you can see it you can be it right if you can see it in your mind's eye if you can imagine better it's that's the seed for manifestation you have to be able to imagine that's one of the, the gifts i think of our humanity that perhaps separates us from the rest of the living kingdoms is that we have the capacity to not only imagine, we don't know if dogs and, and vultures imagine. Uh, we like to think and we like to ascribe those human qualities to other, other living things that we don't really know. But for us as humans, we know that we have the gift of not only imagining things, but of manifesting those imaginations in the third dimension bringing them into reality. And so if you can imagine better, I say, go for it, go for that. Imagine it first, imagine what you perceive to be better. I, I, I experience time, I talk about this a lot, as a, a pinpoint in time and space. It's not a, a horizontal timeline kind of a thing. It's now, it's this moment, that's all that exists. Everything outside of this moment is in your imagination. Every moment of the past, not only your past, but your ancestors' pasts that have all led to this moment. All of it has led to this conversation. Isn't that amazing? And then the future. What happens when we're done with this episode? That also lives in your imagination and everything is possible. So from this pinpoint in time and space, there's an infinite, what I see as a peacock tail of possibilities around this moment, around every moment. All you have to do is choose one. Hey, are you like me, always looking for ways to make a positive impact in the world? Well then join me in sponsoring Desire Child Care Organization, we are a legally incorporated, fully volunteer-based organization in Uganda, committed to providing essential needs, holistic arts-based education, and a safe family environment to 33 vulnerable children, ages two to 14. Your monthly sponsorship can help improve the lives of these kids toward a better future. 
Desire Childcare is different from any other charity I know because, well, we have zero administrative overhead. Every penny goes to the kids. And we have a plan toward self-sufficiency through agriculture. So support is temporary. It's kind of like a, a leg up. Visit DesireChildCare.org to learn more and get involved. Let's empower and inspire the Desire Kids together. Thanks. Sometimes that's hard for people to just choose. They're overwhelmed by all the choices, all the opportunities, all the options, right? But when you find it in yourself to choose the direction, the imagination of what could be better and move toward that, you arrive at a point B. And in that point B, if you don't feel happy, if you don't feel safe, if you don't feel like you thought you might feel, it magically, effortlessly turns into a new point A, surrounded by infinite possibilities. And all you have to do is choose a different direction. It's that easy. I think people work too damn hard at <laughs> um, You know, and, and if you're stuck, sometimes without the ability to, to see which direction to go, sit down, be in that moment, check out the architecture. Is there anything painted on the ceiling? You know, uh, pull out a sketch pad and just start start doodling. You know, I mean, there there are so many tools that we can use in our time to find our direction. But the point is, you have to start. Right. Just start. I'm so grateful that like you're in that work that you are able to provide that for people and like really let them know that we're here. <laughs> we we have the tools to like get you through this sort of thing. That's right. And like the pain is obviously never going to go away, but you just relearn how to live with it. It'll transform. And, yeah. and we're, we're never the person that we were yesterday. Never. So... There's similarities. <laughs> yeah, but sure, there's similarities. Um, but just knowing that you don't have to be static in your views and that things can can progress for you and that you don't have to be stuck is huge. Sometimes yeah. just a little pivot, just a tiny little, like that radio dial will tap you into a completely different, unexpected frequency, right? That happens to me all the time. But it's about playing with the dial, playing with the dial, turning it just slightly this way or that and finding, oh, that's delightful. That's a song I haven't heard before, but I'm really vibing with it. That's a great metaphor, I think, for, for this journey that we're on. Um, one thing that I've, I've been doing this season with the Lost Traveler podcast is I've been asking my co-hosts for each episode to ask a question to the next co-host to be answered. And I have a question just right for you. Okay. <laughs> and then I want you to ask a question for the next co-host. Right. Isn't that fun? I love that idea. <laughs> so here's your question. The question is simply who? Who are you? And who will you be when your time on this planet is up? Who will your obituaries say you were? Who will people say you were when they speak about you in your eulogy 
who will you appear as on your last in your last words and testament uh if it's emblazoned on a tomb or an urn isn't that wow. a great question for you? Oh my gosh. Holy it's, smokes. Talk about a frequency <laughs> someone's tapping into. Yeah, no kidding. Woo. <laughs> so who I am, this is something that I have thought a lot about, especially like in my spiritual work and all that good stuff. Um, so I I feel like I am somebody that wants to live as enriching and joyful life as I can. Um, I want to bring the gifts that I have to the world. I want to get people in contact with themselves and the, and with their their natural processes of things. Uh, I hope that I'm remembered as a peaceful and loving person. That's a little weird. <laughs> weird. I'm a lot weird, let's just say. <laughs> um gosh, what it, what was the other ones? What do I want on my my headstone? Yeah, if you had a, a uh, or an urn or a headstone, what sure. would you um <laughs> so I think my catchphrase since high school has been when in doubt, freak them out. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of love that for me. Um or just if, if I was going to have a, a something on my tombstone, though, I would I would think it would be contemplate death. That's just all that I want people to know. It's something that I do constantly. It's on my mind constantly. <laughs> Any time of the day, I just want to talk about death with people. Um, and yeah, with my obituary, uh, I would say that... I come from an absolutely loving and wonderful family. My parents are fantastic and supportive. I'm very, very lucky in that regard. Um, and my sibling is fantastic as well. I love all of them so much. Um, and just, yeah, contemplate death again, just everywhere. <laughs> I love that. And I love you, my friend. And I'm so <laughs> happy that this is this is the first step in in broadening this conversation. Uh, I'm proud to have shared this hour with you and opened the door on on some perspectives that people may not have considered before. Um, I would urge anyone who is thinking about death, thinking about dying, thinking about the passing, you know, what ha what do I do after someone I love passes? Um, reach out to Victoria because they will will give you some great tools uh, on that journey. And I will put your socials and website, any way to connect with you in the description as well. Um, and uh, you said you have some really great articles and things that you're gonna send yeah. put those there too. Sure. Can I just shout out a few uh, doulas on YouTube and things that people can yes. and watch? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So uh, my first introduction to doulas was Alua Arthur, who is a fantastic doula slash uh, lawyer, I believe. She works in a lot of legal things. So um, find her on YouTube. She's going with Grace. Um, she's fantastic. 
Uh, Suzanne O'Brien, who runs the Doula Givers Network, who um, they uh, certify people as doulas. I think they've done at least, like they are massive. They have done like thousands, I think, wow. um, of of certifications for doulas. So she's a really great uh, person to know. Uh, Dr. Sarah Kerr, who is in Canada. I really love her work. Love to meet her someday. Like if she could be, my, if I could have any doula in the world, it would be her. <laughs> <laughs> She's fantastic. Uh, and then also End of Life University on YouTube run by Dr. Karen Wyatt. Um, she interviews people around all sorts of death and dying topics. And she has been an absolute joy to just listen to her podcast all the time, End of Life University. Um, and yeah, and if anybody wants any more information, they are definitely welcome to reach out to me. Um, and I'll also be sending you a book recommendation list as well that you can probably throw on the notes for this as well. Wonderful. So many great tools, so many great resources. I'll be able to share them not only on this episode uh, description, but also uh, have access to them on the Lost Travelers Club uh, page, uh, which is just Lost Travelers Club. Dot club. Um, finally, to put a button on this amazing hour, what question do you have for our next co-host? What do you want done with your body after you die? I love it. <laughs> do you want to be cremated, buried naturally? Do you want your body donated to medical research? Anything like that? I'd be very curious to know. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I think it's an important question. My uncle uh, has always said that when his time is growing near to move on, he wants to just walk and walk and walk out into the middle of a vast desert. And when it's time to lay down, he will lay down and provide a meal for the vultures and the lizards yes. and insects and everything else and just become part of the earth again. I just think that's a beautiful vision. Absolutely. And possible in certain parts of the world. Not America, though, unfortunately. Not yet. <laughs> I mean, unless you want to just go and do it and not tell anybody about and it. And not tell anybody, exactly. <laughs> yes. So, I don't think that's his plan. I don't think he's going to tell anybody. I think he's just going to go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and what a, that reminds me of the whole Valhalla, you know, you're just sort of going off into the sunset and into another realm entirely and leaving everyone and everything you've known and loved behind, but with a blessing and a gratitude. Thank you, Victoria. So great. And we'll, we'll definitely have you back for a part two sometime. Yeah, excellent. So much love to you, Henry. Thank you so much. All my love. <laughs> You've been listening to season four of the Lost Traveler podcast with Henry Cameron Allen. Visit me online at henryallen.org. Thank you to my guests and thank you for tuning in. Let's keep striving for a better world together.